Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota of Brookhaven has been voted best new car dealership in Southwest Mississippi four years in a row. Come see the difference. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota of Brookhaven, we deliver. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. And welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. You can tell my voice a little on the edge today, so I apologize for that, folks. Uh, I think it was too much talking. <laughs> Maybe too much screaming, huh? <laughs> But I'm hydrating it best I can this morning, so bear with me. I'll be fine. Just got to get through it. We'll be good. We've got Kelly Bennett on the program today at 11.05, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. And then we are expecting Chris McDaniel, Senator Chris McDaniel, candidate for lieutenant governor, to be on the program at 12.05 today. Looking forward to those interviews Coach Kermit Till up at Ole Miss, he's out. See that right now? Kermit Davis? Excuse me. <laughs> oh, man. Pardon me. It's Friday. Freudian slip. Uh, by the way, we got a Freudian slip to play for you today from Karina Jean-Pierre. What happened to Kermit Davis, though? He has had a really tough time this year with the uh, basketball season. Just hasn't been able to get really anything going and after his what would have been his fifth season I don't think you can still I mean it's still his fifth season but he didn't finish out his fifth season at Ole Miss as head coach yeah so I don't I don't know who is uh in the offing there as a prospect for this position as the head basketball coach I would imagine they're They've had a few names in mind just with the way the season has been going. So yeah. I don't think they would have been imprudent and have been talking to anybody before letting Kermit go. But I honestly don't know any names that would be top of the list. I hadn't heard anything. Nothing specific. No, no not, yeah, nothing specific. A lot of um, rumor as you always have in these situations, but nothing that says, oh, yeah, that's definitely the heir apparent. So the markets are in sell-off mode today. Red ink across the screen, the Dow down 417 at the present. The NASDAQ is down 238. The reason is because inflation report came in this morning Sticky. 
as they say. Not going away, not under control, not receding. And that, of course, signals to investors that the Fed is likely to remain aggressive with its interest rate hikes, and they don't like that. So I want to see if Joe is going to address the nation as he did in the last report, which was somewhat positive. And he went, of course, in front of the nation and told us how great everything was economically. And, of course, I don't know if he had enough length in his arms to pat himself on the back for that 30 minutes or so speech where he took victory laps on the Biden economic plan. It's working so well. What's he going to say today? Because the personal consumption expenditure number came in hotter than expected, as they say. What's going to happen there? Is he going to tell us about it or not? Or is he going to just retreat to wherever he goes? The basement? Serious question. Where's our listener Jeff, Forest County? What's he got to say? Am I celebrating today? as he suggested that I do when the market is tanking. Was that even Jeff, or was it another naysayer? I don't know. If it, if it wasn't Jeff, I apologize for that. I think Jeff was on me about um, me uh, essentially stating that the folks in Hollywood in the entertainment industry, I do remember that, are mostly leftists. I think it well, was I mean, somebody. It's true. Yeah, I, but Jeff said, well, what about Tom Hanks? He's a leftist. He is. He's, he's openly supported every Democrat presidential nominee since Obama. He has. Now, I, I thought would, that was common knowledge. He's not a boisterous sort of loudmouth kind of. He's not a Michael Moore, for example, or a Robert no. De Niro. They're both from Hollywood, aren't they? Yeah. Okay. I would say Robert De Niro is more Hollywood than Michael Moore. Michael Moore is more of a clinger on. Yeah. Agree. A wannabe. Agree. An agitator without anything really to say. But is it inaccurate to say that most in the entertainment industry lean rather heavily to the left? I mean, just look at anybody that even remotely espouses conservative beliefs in Hollywood and watch how they're ostracized. Pretty much. Is it also not accurate to say that virtually all of the entertainment industry's awards programs have sunk into nothing but social justice activism events? Yeah, in a large part. That's what they are. And is it also the reason why nobody Except watches the Oscars? Them? They have crisis actors now. <laughs> or not crisis actors. Crisis team. Crisis response team. Oh my god! They've, they've got a whole group of people that are going over every possible scenario so that they can act quickly, so that they don't have a repeat of the slap. Right. <clears throat> well, Jerry in Waynesboro says he's waiting on them CD rates to catch up. Well, certainly if you're looking for. I guess sort of a moderate return there, Jerry. What can you get now? Four and a quarter, four and a half, depending on the length. But 
And you see banks for the first time in recent memory, maybe a decade or so, advertising their CD rates. Hey, stick your money in here and get you some interest income, because for a long time, you couldn't get a whole lot. That's all, all true, Jerry, but when you see equities plummeting the way they are, and most folks have their retirement savings tied up in equities, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, etc., I know many of them aren't happy to see uh, to look into their accounts and see the decline in value. Nobody's happy about that. We need the equity markets to continue to increase. We need equities to continue to increase in value. That's um, how we innovate, produce, generate more for society. That all ends up as uh, more wealth overall, more prosperity. He says, hey, I got 5.02 month ago on 18 months. Okay. That's pretty good. I would say 5% with no risk is a decent return, but that's not nearly to the level one could produce and achieve in equities. And uh, and again, it's just it's necessary. We need a vibrant, thriving equity market. But on an individual level, it's all up to how much risk That's right. you're willing to take on. That's right. And so I agree, it's certainly better than the zeros we've had for some time. 5%. Agree. No doubt about that. In the meantime, of course, oh boy, Social Security, still a hot topic. And we got, uh, we get, we'll get to it when we come back after the break coming up on us. But we got some Bernie Sanders. What, what does he say? Bernie Sanders. I'm Bernie Sanders. Give me all your money. He said it in this, in this sound bite we're going to play in the next segment. It's Bernie. He's, it, apparently, he had a one on one meeting with the president, and they discussed specifically plans for social security. Well, have you, have you not seen the video of them touting student loan forgiveness? No. Oh, man, I'll have to send that to you. Oh, boy. It, it looks like a Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> We're going to take a break right here. It is a Friday, y'all, as Rhino says. We're in the Element Well Studios, Kelly Bennett. Super Talk Mississippi News at 11.05 and Senator Chris McDaniel, candidate for lieutenant governor at 12.05 on the program today. We're coming right back. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. 
legend of the phoenix All ends with beginnings We are back in the Element Well Studios All right, so Bonnie Sanders, Rhino just sent me a video. We we got a couple of sound bites, I think that would I be. I just a, put the video I said you up on the Facebook. That's awesome. So, but we got one, a, a relatively short one, where Bernie talks about uh, what we should do with respect to the financial struggles of Social Security. That I would suggest is that the funding for Social Security is reasonably regressive. Look, Social Security is not an investment opportunity. It is an insurance policy. You're not there to make huge amounts of money. You're there to be sure, 100% sure, that when you get old, it will be there for you. You want to invest in Wall Street? Go for it. That's not what Social Security is about. And the truth is that Social Security, since its inception, we should be very proud of that. No matter whether the economy is terrible, whether it's good, never has an American received a letter from Social Security saying, sorry, you didn't get your payment this month when there's not enough money. We have paid every nickel owed to every eligible beneficiary. That is what Social Security is about. I have introduced legislation with Elizabeth Warren and others, which really addresses the crisis. This is what it does. Right now, we have the crazy situation. Somebody makes $10 million a year. Somebody makes $160,000 a year. They both contribute the same exact money into Social Security. And what that means is you make a million dollars a year and I make $62,000 a year. We end up contributing about the same amount of money into the Social Security fund. I think that's regressive. If you lift that cap, starting at $250,000, you know what you could do? You extend the solvency of Social Security for 75 years, and you raise Social Security benefits, not lower them. And that's what we have to do. Oh, I see. Oh, the train seals, you hear, yeah, yeah, tax the rich, yeah. Stick it to them. They produce too much for society. And thus they earn too much. Take it all. What do you say? Give me all your money. <laughs> Give me all your money. <laughs> he just said that in that video. So much to break down here. First, it is true, as we've discussed on the program, there's never been a default on a payment from Social Security. Nor has there ever been a default on payment of the loans Social Security makes to the Treasury. I I know it's widely believed that, well, yeah, the reason Social Security is upside down is because the Congress spent all the money. It is true that by law, any excess of revenues over expenses incurred by Social Security is, in fact, by law, loaned to the U.S. Treasury. And the U.S. Treasury pays a stated, very nominal, low rate of interest, but every dime's been paid back with interest. And if that ever didn't occur, we ever defaulted, I believe the global economy would collapse. It would mean that the dollar is worthless and that the full faith and credit of the United States no longer holds. So, but on the other hand, Bernie, what you're not talking about, what you're not mentioning is that, yeah, we've always made the payments. But all we do is print money out of thin air to make them. He never talks about that. Second thing is, okay, you say it's regressive because 
once a, an income earner hits that threshold, presently 160000 a year, as the senator mentioned in that clip, they no longer, their wages are no longer subject to Social Security. That's true. But what he's leaving out is that, okay, you want to lift the cap, and you heard him make the comparison. A person making $10 million pays the same amount in as a person making 160000 Right. They also get the same amount out. Just because you paid in the other $9.84 million over the, the, uh, the other person in that example, you don't get any more out. You're paying for their retirement and a whole bunch of other people's. To him, in his socialist utopia, that's fair. That's what they deem as fair. Oh, you paid in millions of dollars, but you get tens of thousands out. Oh, yeah, that's fair. You paid in thousands, but you get hundreds of thousands out. Yeah, that's fair. That's the way they see it. That's exactly what he's saying there. He just fails to mention that little detail. You're going to pay more in. Oh, no, get more out. No, nah, not going to happen. In fact, in his plan, he wants those very people to, to receive less out. He wants to means test their income for benefits. This is the duplicity from him and his other leftist buddies. They never expound on that concept like we're doing here. They don't mention that. And thus the people clap and say, say well, well, that's not fair. The person making $10 million pays the same as the one sixty. Well, that's not fair. But they didn't tell them, yeah, but they get the same amount out. They leave out that detail. So you could, you could draw so many analogies to that, couldn't you? It's like you go into a restaurant and you have a meal and the person seated at the table next to you and you have the exact same meal and your bill's 500 bucks and theirs is 10. But you got the same meal. That's what they determine to be fair. Unbelievable. I, I, you know I get fired up about this because it's so duplicitous, it's deceptive, it's disingenuous. It's borderline lying, honestly. Because they never include all the other details. They just focus on the red meat that they know gets the train seals and whoever that audience was all fired up, clapping. Stick it to them. they got to pay more. It's not fair. Well, the hosts and audience of The View have never really been known for their mental acuity. <laughs> Unbelievable. Just incredible. Jerry in Waynesboro says, uh, talking about his 5% CD rates, something to keep in mind, though, Jerry, and it's, maybe it's not affecting you, but you're getting 5% on a CD when inflation is tracking it over 6%. So when you were getting 1%, on a CD, inflation was zero. So yeah, you're, it's, it's better in that you're producing more interest income, the rates are higher, because of inflation and the Fed raising the Fed funds rate, but the cost of everything's more. 
So are you better or not? It, it depends on your, your individual case. <clears throat> Something that I heard yesterday in a, in a report on the Business Channel that really stuck with me overnight, Rhino, is the CEO of Domino's Pizza. You know who those guys are. Said their business is down and have provided to analysts their guidance in accordance with law. And their guidance is not good, meaning the future, their outlook for business in the future. You know what he said? The cost of pizza has gone up, and the cost of living has gone up, and in all of their investigation of why sales are slumping, it's because people are cooking their own pizza. Even Domino's. He also said, we can't get any drivers, no matter how much we pay them. So, might we say that the status, the economic condition at Domino's Pizza is a pretty dang good indicator of what's going on in the economy overall? I think it is. I really do. But when the CEO comes out and says, yeah, we're concerned about the future, all our pizza eaters are making their pizza at home. We need to come up with our own economic model, the pizza price index. <laughs> That's right. Instead of the producer price index, the PPI, we'll call it the PPI, the pizza price we'll just index. We'll add an extra P. We'll make it the pizza pie price index. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. All right, so when we come back, uh, we got to play this uh, video that Rhino just shared with me. This is from Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders meeting and discussing student loans. It's unbelievable. <laughs> but we're in the Element Well Studios, and stay with us. We're coming right back. Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Super Talk Mississippi, it's middays. We're in the Element Well Studios on this. Friday, y'all. Thomas and Greenwood says, congratulations on being somebody, Gerard. Well-deserved recognition. I appreciate that, Thomas. Really do. So last night was uh, honored to be one uh, named to one of Mississippi's top 50 most influential leaders in the state. Uh, Magnolia Tribune, formerly Y'all Politics sponsors uh, the event, and there are three categories, elected officials, uh, lobbyists, and 
uh, and the like, and then those in business, culture, media. So really uh, honored, and it was a great event, honestly. It, it totally was. Uh, James Meredith inducted into the Hall of Fame in the top 50 and delivered some remarks. Excellent. And so was Senator Roger Wicker. He also delivered some remarks. And uh, really, it's just cool to be around so many great folks in the state and to be included among that group. I'm, I'm honored uh, and I'm grateful to Magnolia Tribune and the others involved in sponsoring the event and being selected for that. My family was in attendance. We had a, a great time, very appreciative. And also Mr. Gallo as well, Paul Gallo as well. And I, I appreciate this opportunity that Super Talk has given me to to uh, come in here and be with you, Rhino, every day and talk about all the stuff going on. And if in some way, shape, or form our voice is making a positive difference in our state and even perhaps in our nation, that's what it's all about. That's honestly, that's the, the greatest reward. And hopefully... In some way, we're informing people and uh, maybe even having a little bit of influence here and there. I don't know that for sure, honestly, but you know as well as I do, a lot of people listen. They do take note. I do think that it perhaps impacts them and how talking about our elected leaders and decisions they make. I do think that's the case. And if Yeah, I, I would argue one of the better examples of that this legislative session is House Bill 401. Agree. Yeah. Still has not come on the floor of the Senate. That would be the vehicle bill, of course, Rhino's referring to. I do think that, and I did have a lot of feedback on that one. A lot of folks said, I didn't understand it until you explained it. That's, and that's great. That's fine. So that's, that's what we aspire to do, honestly, in a positive way. That's what it's all about. We want to make Mississippi a better place. And if in some way, shape, or form we're influencing that, then that works for me. That's awesome. Thomas also says, I see the Republican names came out. We talked about this yesterday. Those who apparently have expressed their concerns about eliminating the income tax. Thomas is right. That has been exposed. And so now that it's public... We certainly can speak about it publicly, uh, openly, I should say, here, and uh, didn't have to rely on an obscure Twitter post to know which House Republicans are rhinos, says Thomas. Well, you know, I'm going to stay away from affixing the term rhino. I, I just don't like that, because it means something different to everybody. Everybody has their own sort of standard of what that means. I mean, I've always taken umbrage with it because I was rhino long before the term came about. <laughs> it's disrespectful to you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> They're not worthy of that. <laughs> uh, but but uh, Thomas is right, and there are a number of Republicans in the House that have concerns. And here's what I would say about that. I'm not going to sit here and blast those Republicans for their opposition to elimination of the income tax. Rather, I would like to extend to them an invitation to come on the program and let's talk about it. Not in a confrontational way, 
we don't do that. That, that really serves no purpose. It's not productive. But I, I would like to understand what are their concerns? What are they hearing from their constituents? And, and maybe we can uh, come to some, something that makes sense. Simple as that. And so, again, there's uh, no secret here. Some of this is discussed in, in caucus, but it's also discussed um, outside, obviously, as well. But, but now, as they say, the cat's out of the bag. There are a few that have expressed concern. Let's just put it that way. Donnie Scoggins, Noah Sanford, Kevin Felsher, Carolyn Crawford, Steve Massengill, Jerry Turner, Greg Haney. Um, it's a little iffy as to whether or not Representative Missy McGee has concerns. Apparently, it's being reported that she didn't speak up about that, about concerns in the caucus meeting, but there are some 12, Representative Becky Curry as well. And again, I, I just would like to speak to them if they'd be willing to come on, and let's have a productive conversation, informative conversation to understand what their concerns are. Maybe they have talked to folks in their districts that that uh, provide another side, if you will, and that we don't know about. That's absolutely fair. I don't want to jump to any conclusions. I don't think that's fair until we understand what their thoughts are. Simple as that. One thing that is true is the state's sitting on a bunch of money. What are we going to do with it? Let it sit there? I think that um, I think one thing we should be cognizant of that I've discussed and, and it uh, needs to be repeated is that we're about to lose a fair amount of money from Medicaid reimbursement from the federal government. I say a fair amount. I would estimate it to be $150 million, $200 million a year, maybe a little more. And that this all stems from the increase in the federal contribution to the Medicaid program from March of 2020, signed into law by President Donald Trump, supported, as I recall, Rhino, by virtually everybody in the Congress. This was the first, in fact, it's called the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act, signed into law in March of 2020. I think it was just under a billion dollars. Pardon me, a trillion dollars. You see how crazy the numbers are? Just under a trillion dollars. Because on its heels came the CARES Act. Everybody knows about that one. At $2.2 trillion. In the span of about 60 days, your federal government spent over $3 trillion dollars. Just for perspective, a short four years ago, 2019 federal budget was four trillion for the whole year. They spent three and two months, all in the name of COVID. Well, that included a provision that increased the federal government's funding to the states, all 50 states, of Medicaid. In exchange for that additional funding, the federal government required that the states not 
disenroll anybody from Medicaid once on or presently on at that time, even if they were no longer eligible. Therefore, because, and that's throughout the public health emergency, as long as that's active, which has been active now for three years. Coming up on three years next month. But that's coming to an end. And as of April 1, the Division of Medicaid in Mississippi, as is the case across the country, will be allowed to disenroll Medicaid recipients. I believe in Mississippi, that's anywhere from 120 to 150,000 presently on Medicaid that are going to get that letter that says you're out. The reason is because the federal government is also going to start phasing out the additional funding, the enhanced funding from March of 2020. It phases out, I think, over six months through September. So you got less money coming in. You can't keep paying for people who aren't eligible. That's all coming. And... Here's what I think is going to happen, Rhino. You're going to see unbelievable public outcry because the left-wing media is going to find the most incredible outlier hardship cases. You know that's how they operate. And they're going to say it's those mean old Republicans that are kicking them off the rolls here. And they're going to leverage that very effectively from a political perspective. Just like the people that are clapping when Bernie Sanders says, we got to just tax those rich people to pay for everybody else's Social Security. It's exactly what's going to happen. Across the country, it's estimated that 20 million will lose coverage. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios, we've got Kelly Bennett at 1105. Oh, baby. Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. the Element Well Studios. It is middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees. And I would say with that kangaroo hopping around, now more than ever do you need a little help managing your money. I'm really serious. Is Biden coming out today to talk about this really bad inflation report? It disappointed. It was higher than expected. Is he going to tell us how great his policies are working? I want to see that. 
Tim and McGee says, Mr. Sanford is my representative, and I haven't seen him since he's been elected. Honestly, folks, if you have concerns about their position on the income tax elimination, I do recommend give them a call. But I would suggest not just launching immediately into attack mode, because you're likely not to get any substantive discussion. Just ask them where they stand, and then let the conversation be led from that. Let them state their case and their rationale for however they they stand. Now, again, this is an official record. This list of names that has since been publicized, it's not any official record because there's no vote. But it is absolutely accurate, based on our interview with Representative Lamar earlier in the week, who heads the Ways and Means Committee, that he said, yeah, we got some folks in our party that are not on board, and so we're not taking it forward. And also indicated, as I recall, Rhino, that last year some Democrats supported. This year none do. They've made it clear. Is this the a function related to the fact that it is election year? Possibly. Are there some legitimate concerns? I don't know. I'd like to hear them. I, th- I think that's fair. It's, it's always prudent and productive to let someone state their case and to hear all points of view. That, that's the, I think that just makes for good, positive discourse, and we should do that. According to the uh, calendar for President Biden today, he has already received his presidential daily briefing. He has already met with the G7 leaders and President Zelensky for a virtual meeting about Ukraine versus Russia. Then they'll have some pool call time for the media, and then he will be heading to Newcastle, Delaware. Okay, so he ain't going to talk to us about this bad inflation report today. doesn't look like it unless it comes up in the media pool time. I see. I did see that Kamala Harris was wherever she was yesterday, bragging about how the price of energy has decreased. And the fact is, since Joe Biden began releasing, and was attributing that, of course, to Joe Biden's policies, since he began releasing oil from our strategic reserves, if you look at the dates, it actually hasn't gone down. It started going down before that and hit that level. So because it was a minimum amount, it's a minimum amount to the global supply, which is what drives the price. It is a global commodity. It is a lot with respect to the amount we have held back in the reserve for a so-called rainy day. Now they got to go refill it replenish it at a higher price. But that's not, it's a Band-Aid. That's not really addressing the fundamental problem of supply and demand. It's a short-term fix. It wasn't even a fix, but a short-term attempt, at least, to drive the price down so he can get at the podium and brag to the country about how he drove the price of oil down. Yes. But that ain't happening. 
She just doesn't, they don't do any research. They don't do the math. And the reason they do it, or that they don't do it, I guess, is because they know they can say whatever the heck they want, and the trained seals will lap it up and clap. <laughs> they don't do any checks. And they think, yeah, we should be able to trust the vice president with this kind of data. But you can't, unfortunately. Like Bernie Sanders, a senator for like 150 years, you should be able to trust what he says. But he doesn't tell the truth. Or he tells half-truths. That's probably a better way. It's not that he lied so much as, no, you just didn't offer all the other nuances and all, all the other facts about what you're proposing and their impact. But it's time for a break here in the Element Well Studios. It's Fox News, Super Talk News, followed by Kelly Bennett with Super Talk Mississippi News. Looking forward to that conversation. Stay with us. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi, hour two of the program from the Element Wealth Studios. All right. Joining us now, Kelly Bennett, multimedia journalist, Super Talk Mississippi News. Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks. You know, I hear that news sounder, and I almost just naturally started going, uh, for Super Talk Mississippi News, this is Kelly. <laughs> yeah, I got you. All right, what what do you want to talk about today? What have you been tracking this week in the great state of Mississippi? Well, uh, you know, I thought since the Mardi Gras kind of came to an end and, and we got into a more somber part of the week, although there's still king cake in the office. Yeah. To figure that out. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, my jeans are a lot tighter now than they were at the beginning <laughs> of the Mardi Gras season. But I wrote down some of the happier stuff from this week. Yeah. So one story in particular I'm loving is the success of these blackout tags yeah. that you're seeing all over the place. They've only been on sale since July, and the money raised from these plates, some of it goes to this trust fund for death benefits for first responders. And in just a few months, over a million dollars has already been put into that trust fund. Uh, 36,000 tags. That's fantastic. And I think uh, Senator Delano, who's the one that introduced the bill in the Senate, is going to see about uh, some additional options in the future. There's legislation on that right now. Um, so I think that's, that's a pretty cool story. I, I love to see the good guys get some help. Um, another neat story we had this week, I don't know if you heard this, but there is a teacher at Oak Grove Middle School in Hattiesburg, Haley Ladner, mm-hmm. who gave birth to Quinn Templet this that. week. 
I saw Four that. Girls and a boy, yeah. Uh, she says she's sharing her story. She wants other couples who've dealt with infertility issues to know that there's hope out there. Obviously, this couple had a little help. They've got a lot of kids to take care yeah. of now. Um, <laughs> and, and they were expecting maybe twins. They were really surprised when they found out it was going to be quintuplets. So congratulations to them. That's what I call uh, instant family. Yes. Yeah, that, I would be like, okay, now we're we're done, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I that assume awesome. everybody's good. Mother, children, babies, yes. all good. Everybody seems to be doing fine. And awesome. Very, very, very excited. Of course, you know, talk to him in a week, Gerard. Right? Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Be exhausted. Uh, another cool thing that's happening: uh, we may have an official state gemstone. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Tell us about it's that. The, it's the Mississippi opal, and apparently it is the only gem that's naturally produced within the state's geographical boundaries. It was first discovered in 2004 in Claiborne County. I didn't realize it was such a recent discovery. But, you know, I've got kind of a personal story here. Um, so I bought a new house a couple of years ago, and I started doing some stuff in the backyard, and I wanted rocks. For landscaping. So for the first time in my life, uh, I actually have, like, I went to a rock yard, you know. So I have, like, a rock guy, (laughs) and he's pointing to all these rocks that they have for sale at his business, and he's telling me, you know, these come from Missouri, these are from Colorado, and I said, doesn't Mississippi have rocks? And he said, not really. (laughs) (laughs) You you just don't think about that fact that you know we have trees we've got plenty of those we've got plenty of farmland um, but I guess we're we're not so abundant in the rock area yeah <clears throat> that's pretty neat um, all right so any bills in particular you uh, kept an eye on this week it looks like we've been talking about it here this morning that elimination of the income tax don't have a lot of hope for that. Yeah, I was kind of bummed out by that. I was hoping that maybe they would speed up the elimination of the income tax. Uh, But I have a feeling, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, Gerard, but I have a feeling that it's an election year. They knew how hot this debate got last year. Remember, there was a lot of debate. There was. uh, On this last year. And I think maybe our state legislators didn't want to burn up the time this time, or maybe they want to see, Hmm. you know, that could be some of the logic. It could also be that they want to see, because, I mean, last year, they already gave us a historical tax cut. Mm -hmm. It's coming into play. It's being phased in. So I think some of them want to see how that works out now that we don't have this federal influx of money coming in anymore. You keep calling it helicopter money. I like that name for it. That's a very decent name yeah. for it. So um, I think, you know, obviously as a taxpayer, we would all, I think every taxpayer would love to have more money in their pocket, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look like it's going to happen this time. But it's not, it's not horrible news because the tax cuts they passed last year are already being phased in. Yeah, I just think there were there were a lot of folks, including me, that had very high hopes of joining the ranks of the other states, I think six, seven, that uh, do not presently tax income. 
And we yeah. really saw, even though Mississippi still has an income tax, we have, the, I believe, the fifth lowest uh, overall, which is certainly good. But I, I just believe the stars are aligned, and this was the time to, to get it done. Doesn't look like uh, that's going to become a reality. There's still some question in my mind, however, Kelly, that the governor may decide to call a, a special session to address this issue. Right. Well, I guess anything is possible. And wasn't that one of the big items on his agenda? Top at the item. Of the session? Top priority. Yeah, I thought it was. Speaker, so, the speaker as well. Yeah. So, you know, he does. Oh, now you're talking about House Speaker Philip Gunn. Right. Um, some big news on him this week. He's talking about postpartum benefits. He's been pretty clear the entire time, even though they passed in the Senate and, you know, last legislative session, the postpartum bill to extend postpartum benefits to Medicaid recipients from two months to a year uh, passed in the Senate and failed in the House. And it looks like that's going to happen again yeah, this year. I think that's right. I do. Yeah. I don't think that they're going to. Oh, another one I got excited about, because uh, I do like my beer, <laughs> is uh, <laughs> Representative Brent, Brent Powell. He's authored a bill that would allow alcohol sales on Sundays between 1 and 6. What counties would be able to decide whether or not to authorize this? Uh, he <laughs> he was talking um, to Lucian Smith, who was filling in for Paul Gallo this morning on Super Talk. Yeah. And he said, he said, I don't know why I get pushback on this. I'm really just trying to bring Mississippi into the 21st century. Did you know that Mississippi is still a prohibition state that's never been taken off the book? Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. That's pretty wild. Yeah. 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 So uh, there's a lot of talk about that. Now, Powell said he would also like to see the state get out of the the business of alcohol sales altogether. Sure. You know, there's been a lot of talk about how dilapidated and slow things are at the ABC warehouse, which is a state-run facility. Um, what else is going on? Uh, ballot initiatives, um, I think that's still alive. Right. It. Uh, let's see, I believe it passed the Senate. Is yeah. that, isn't that right, Rhino? It's over in the in the House. It it, it um, essentially just has a very high signature threshold, virtually two and a half or two point five, um, what uh, the present level is. So yeah, and and that has been the sticking point. That's why it didn't pass last year. Yeah, they couldn't agree on the amount of signatures. Um, the House and Senate couldn't mm-hmm. agree. So they're taking it up again this year. We'll see what happens there. Um, what else is going on? There, uh, there's a bill out there to try to clean up the election rolls. This is something that the voter rolls. Um, this is something Secretary of State Michael Watson has brought up pretty frequently that, you know, basically, uh, it sounds like a few counties in Mississippi could use a good purge. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. uh, yeah, uh, you know, so they're talking about, you know, if you don't vote for a couple of election cycles, right. then your your circuit clerk will send you a notice. And I think they gave you, like, they gave you a pretty good amount of time to respond. Yeah, and, and it still didn't mean you couldn't vote. You could still show up, vote, file an affidavit, and take care of it later. He just can't get it uh, any traction in the legislature on that. 
We gotta go though, Kelly. I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, it's been a great Mardi Gras week. Now we're in the midst of yeah. Lent, as you know. <laughs> yes. So we gotta take it easy. Talk to you next yeah. week. See you. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Well Studios on this Friday, y'all. I just heard we got some uh, Doobie Brothers tickets to give away next week. You heard that? Oh, yeah. That'll be cool. That'll be a good show. Yeah, sure will. Michael McDonald will be performing with the group. Iconic voice, Michael McDonald. So you'll want to stay tuned in to Super Talk on Monday for your chance to win. You got that. Uh, Michael McDonald, is he's one of those artists who has appeared with uh, new, on numerous other artists' songs, their tracks, you know, just to do kind of a sort of a guest appearance, lending his very distinctive voice to the production. One of my favorites, Toto. You know who those guys are. Oh, yeah. I'll Be Over You. And uh, he has a part in that. You could, of course, you can recognize his voice right off the bat. The video is pretty cool. It's back when videos were kind of fun, not just goofy. And uh, the Toto group takes to the top of a building in downtown L.A. and begins to perform the song, and towards the end of it, starts raining. I read somewhere where that actually did happen. It wasn't planned, <laughs> and they just kind of included it. But Michael McDonald's voice is, is, uh, has a, a little part in the lyrics there of the tune. Great song. Great band as well. Don't forget Chris McDaniel coming up on the program at 12.05 today. Malcolm from Tishomingo says, uh, that's a lie about energy costs going down. My electric bill was more this month than last month, but I... Use less kilowatts this month than last. Now let Kamala explain that. Of course, Malcolm is commenting on some information we passed on where the vice president yesterday was touting the decline in the price of energy um, as a result of Joe Biden's policies. It was so smart of him to just let oil out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That was brilliant, wasn't it? Ooh, what an innovative guy he is. Nothing to boost supply. Zero. In fact, quite the opposite. You want the price to go down? Make more of it. Unleash the animal spirits of the American energy industry. Let it go to work. And he, he just said a couple of weeks ago, I think we're going to need oil and gas for 10 more years. But yet, he scolds the the big oil companies, because they won't go invest more. 
Well, you can make money for 10 years. No, you can't. You need 15 to produce a return on investment. Something, I dare say, the president is unfamiliar with, that concept. Never had to deal with that in his life. And as far as the vice president, oh, geez. I don't know that she's had to deal with too many thorny issues, honestly, certainly from an economic perspective. What is it you say about her every time she speaks? She... Oh, yeah, she gets in front of a room full of adults and talks to them like they're in the fifth grade. <laughs> but this is but another... the buses are electric. <laughs> Who doesn't love a school bus? And you can charge your phone. <laughs> That's true. We played it. You can see the moon. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people believe that maybe it's really not Joe running the show. Somebody's pulling the strings, operating the president as if he were a puppet. Who's in charge? It's a lot of speculation. Maybe this next soundbite from Karine Jean-Pierre will give us a tent. Okay, so today, as you all saw just an hour or so ago, President Obama announced that, pardon me, President Biden. Whoa! <laughs> Freudian slip there. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, I couldn't find any sound on it, though, Rhino, but how many times, how many times have we said that our society is very disconcertingly evolving into one where outcomes are determined based on what someone is, as opposed to who they are. What meaning, what is your gender, what's your sexual preference, what's your race, what's the color of your skin, what's your ethnicity, all these immutable, meaning you can't change them, physical attributes. Though the left says you can identify to be whatever you want. So we got a vice chair of the Fed opening that the president, uh, an appointment the president has to make. And it turns out that it doesn't look like we're going to get someone based on their qualifications, but yet we're going to get someone based on what they are. So it's it's now been stated and reported that it's going to be someone who is a minority, so as to ensure diversity and inclusion. Not someone who would be the most qualified to serve as the Fed's vice chair. And it was largely believed that White House Council of Economic Advisors, Austin Goolsbee, he was in that role during the Obama administration. I believe he's a professor, a professor of economics at the University of Chicago School of Economics. And I don't agree with Mr. Goolsby, by the way, on like anything on economic policy. He, he is extremely left-leaning in his, his positions, his philosophy of economic policy. But I honestly thought he probably is the most qualified from the group of those who are in the Democrat wing to be appointed. But 
Looks like he's getting passed over because he, of course, is a white male. We can't have white males. Yeah, here's uh, Corrine Jean-Pierre when she was questioned about it. Uh, U.S. sanctions. Uh, not just not going to get ahead of the president tomorrow. On the uh, search for uh, Fed Vice Chair, can you talk about the decision-making process there with regard to how the president is considering uh, diversity? Uh, there's been some pressure from senators to name a Latino candidate, for example. How much, how important for, is it to the president uh, to name a woman or a person of color uh, to that that job? So I'll just first say that um, clearly uh, filling that vacancy is something that's important to the president and will certainly um, certainly nominate someone in the near future. Uh, when it comes to diversity, you've heard this from the president, you've heard this from me, you've heard this from many of us here. Diversity and representation is really important uh, to this president. And, uh, and you know, we are going to look at, the president's going to look at a highly diverse group, group of world-class economists, uh, and just as we did for the previous Fed nominations. So we're going to continue that process. But I want to take the opportunity to, to lay out uh, what how diverse the president's cabinet has been, how diverse the president's administration has been. Yeah, not how qualified they are, not how productive they are, how effective, how much value they are creating for America and Americans. No, no, no. What matters is that it's diverse. We got one of them, one of those, one of this. Like her. She's only there because she checks a box. You can't tell me that they couldn't find someone more qualified than her. So, and that's not to say that, obviously, that there aren't qualified candidates that aren't white males for this role. But they've eliminated, her statements there tell you, and it's now pretty much known in the business community, that Austin Goolsby's out because he's a white male. Not because he's unqualified, mind you, because he's a white male. He doesn't check the immutable traits box. So that's how we run the show. It's all about diversity. Seems to have worked out real well so far. Pete Buttigieg, as an example. Excellent diversity hire. Unbelievable. So wow. Or what about the nuclear nut case to keep stealing women's suitcases? <laughs> you showed me that yesterday. Oh yeah, now what there's allegations from 2018 that he stole a fashion designer's suitcase in which she had p- articles of clothing that she had handmade and designed herself. <laughs> it's not like, oh, oops, they're accidentally shopping at the same store. No, she made the freaking dresses he's wearing. <laughs> he's wearing one of them in a Vanity Fair article. Unbelievable. I do have a bit of positive news on this front. You know, we shared yesterday that a lot of these corporations, because they figured out they better worry about making money instead of being social justice activists, are starting to pare down their ranks of all these highly overpaid, totally unproductive DEI people. The University of Texas has suspended its DEI policies. They operate 13, they oversee 13 academic and health institutions across the state. Governor Abbott's office this month told state agencies to stop this DEI approach to hiring. This is good news. We need more of this across this country. Coming right back on Middays. 
everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. The guitar man Who's gonna steal the show You know, baby, it's the guitar man He can make you love He can make you The great David Gates and Brad, by the way, that's my favorite Brad song. It's pretty good. I told you I saw him perform live at the Mississippi Coliseum. Like 71 or 2 or something like that. It was a good show. No doubt. Did you ever hear the story about how they got their band name? I did not. Have not. Apparently they were all sitting around just trying to come up with a band name. Yeah. And they started naming stuff in their surroundings. Like, what about light pole? What about bush? <laughs> and a bread truck drove by. <laughs> they said, what about bread? That actually might work. <laughs> it did. Worked out pretty good for them. They figured it might sell because it had a B, like the Beatles or the Bee Gees. Yeah. Uh, at the time, popular yeah. groups, yeah, absolutely. Keith Invaden says, I knew Obama was running the show the whole time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was a pretty good guess there, Keith, honestly. On the ceasefire tax line, do you think differences in opinion on income tax cuts versus rebate between House and Senate are causing a stalemate in tax legislation this session? I don't. I believe that there are concerns held by what appears to be a dozen members of the House overall in eliminating the income tax. There are obviously concerns in the Senate. We learned that last year. So what's been discussed as as just a, a way to return some of the excess to the taxpayers in the Senate, the lieutenant governor in particular, has promoted this idea of a one-time rebate, send some money back. But no, that's not why the House this year is unable to pass elimination of the income tax. I do believe it's because there are, are concerns, again, shared by uh, members of the House that apparently would not support. And, and those range from, and, and again, this is both speculation and anecdotal. Okay, I want to make sure. This is nothing on the record. This is an opinion shows my opinion. There are concerns that our revenues may start to significantly decline as we face macroeconomic headwinds, meaning a recession beyond. That's a concern. There are concerns that our spending, which is absolutely true, our spending in the state government has been on an upward climb now for three years. There's concerns that without the federal helicopter money that it would be difficult to make the numbers work without an income tax, income tax revenue, relying on, at least for the general fund, for the most part, sales tax revenue. I think that's a concern. I think there's a concern that, geez, this really wouldn't help the retired folks in my district. 
because they presently don't pay income taxes. I believe that some have heard from their constituents that they would prefer to see a grocery tax elimination in lieu of a sales tax elimination. Uh, pardon me, income tax elimination. So a sales tax on groceries should be eliminated over eliminating the income tax. There are, based on the reform just passed last year, keep in mind, that I think I got the math right here, Rhino, for, let's see, for an individual, you could make um, upwards of $25,000, $26,000 a year now once we fully phase out and phase out the 4% bracket, which is this year, before you start paying income tax. It's even higher if you're married. So how many people would benefit, given what we've already passed? I think there's some thinking along those lines. And that's just considering the, the fact that the first $10,000 of uh, income subject to tax after exemptions in the, um, the personal exemption and the standard deduction wouldn't have any t you wouldn't have um, any taxable income. Because until you get to over $10,000 of taxable income after you take out the personal exemption and the standard deduction, no tax by virtue of what was passed last year. So a lot of people wouldn't benefit. I think that's a, a common concern. That's the way I see it. Now, I believe we will succeed in, in having some folks uh, in this camp from the House on the program, I hope in the next week, to share with us their concerns and see how closely my opinion, my analysis aligns with their feelings, their views. Now, it's unlikely we'll get everybody, but I think we'll get someone or a couple in this group to come on and, and talk to us about uh, where they stand and, and why they have concerns. But I suspect that the spectrum that I just described probably would apply to one or more or maybe even all, and it could be an all the above is a concern. Maybe it's not just one. Um, that's where we stand. So no, just back to the original question, I don't think this is a situation where members of the House are at odds with the Senate in approach as to why the House can't get this through. I don't think that's the case. And it's an election year, as we said. So folks start getting concerned. I, I, I'm curious, based on some polls that have shown that, the, that elimination of the grocery sales taxes would be more welcome than elimination of the income tax. I'd like to know if folks uh, are hearing that from their constituents. I, I've seen the polls, but Polls are polls, and you can't always rely empirically on them. Um, I, I'd like to hear folks just weigh in on that. Maybe some of our listeners have some thoughts on that. I, I would say if you're retired and you're present not, presently not subject to income taxes, state income taxes, you're likely to welcome an, an elimination of sales taxes on groceries before you would elimination of the income tax, which wouldn't affect you, wouldn't benefit you. I can see that. But I can see folks who maybe are 
paying income taxes and aren't in that group that pays zero because of the changes made last year, they maybe are more in favor of elimination of the income tax as a benefit. I think we also got to keep in mind, well, I don't think, I know we do, we also got to bear in mind the overall consequences, or not consequences, but impact to the state on this policy beyond just our personal situation. What's in the best interest of the state? What's going to spur the most economic development and activity? What's going to give rise to our 50th place perennially in household income and uh, per capita income? How do we get off the bottom? Because I believe, as I've said before, everything is is inextricably linked to those figures. When household incomes rise, lots of problems start to get relief, get addressed, just by virtue of a more vibrant, prosperous economy and people making more money. Now, the left will tell you that don't mean anything, right? They, they'll tell you, oh, that just doesn't mean anything. We just got to take more from those people that make it all and give it to the people that don't. That's the solution to our most pressing issues. Like Bernie Sanders and his Social Security idea. I got the solution. Just take from that group and give it to that one. And I'll be the hero and skim off the top. That's the way it works. I mean, he could donate the proceeds from his anti-capitalist stadium tour. <laughs> that sounds so great. The, the ticket prices are a bit high. I'm sure he could afford it. You've heard his response. I'm, I'm not in charge of that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a goof. It's about you, as asinine as his excuses for having so many houses. Exactly. It's the publisher controls that. I don't have any control. He was so quick, so terse in his response there. No, you're a dang hypocrite, what you are. You're okay with charging, charging people to go hear about <laughs> the horrors of capitalism. You're okay with engaging in capitalism to drive people to your event to tell them how bad capitalism is. Which the ultimate irony of that is there are people willing to part with their money in a capitalistic way Unbelievable. to go hear about how bad capitalism is. <laughs> On the ceasefire tax line, I'm retired and do not pay income tax. I agree a reduction in the grocery tax would be beneficial to retirees. Well, sure, I get that. But what about working people? That's the problem is, is you're trying to appease everybody here. And everybody's got a different situation. I'm simply suggesting that everybody keep in mind the future as well. Our children. The fact that we have a hard time keeping our best talent when once they graduate, our most qualified talent. And I'm not saying the people that stay here aren't, but I'm saying a whole lot of them leave because they don't have any opportunity here. What's, what can we do to create more opportunity for our future assets? And that's our children. Coming right back with more, Chris McDaniel at 12.05. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi.
I think I introduced you to that one. You stuck it in there, right? <laughs> it was one of those disco-era movies that made no sense whatsoever. I have a soft spot for any song where you got the big Russian bass just coming in to add a little bit of flavor. <laughs> Ready. That pretty much was the way we did it back in 78 or whenever it was. So, uh, just want to clarify on the amount of income that, given the recent, uh, as in last year, tax reform that went into effect, some of it this year, in Mississippi, as far as the, uh, the amount under which one would have no tax liability. And so for a single, an individual filing uh, as an individual, based on the standard deduction in the exemptions that Mississippi allows, they would have to make $18,300 before any of their income would be taxable. So everything below that not subject to tax. Well, let's look at a married couple or filing joint. That figure goes up to $26,600. I, I didn't have all those numbers committed to memory. I apologize for that. I had to go out and check the Department of Revenue website just to make sure I had the right deductions and exemptions. So I'm simply saying I'm including that in the discussion is maybe that's a concern that Given the reform that was passed last year, a lot of folks now are taking off the income tax rolls. And you remember uh, those of us uh, who supported the, what I thought was the best we could get last year, we made a big deal out of that, that a lot of people are not going to have any tax liability after uh, this measure goes into effect. But for those that make more than that, so it's a bit of relief for everybody, but it's not obviously the same as full elimination of income taxes. Let's see here. Uh, do away with the income tax and the surplus of tax money goes back to retirees. Well, what's I don't get it. What does that mean? What are we saying surplus of tax money? How would we have a surplus of tax money if we get rid of the income tax? I'm not following that. And then what are we saying? Just send that back to retired people? Like working people wouldn't benefit from that? Not sure. Ben from McGee says, there's enough on the backs of the working people paying income tax. If they take away the grocery tax, yes, it'll help the retired people. But my concern is that it'll put more strain on us who are paying income tax. So many depend on our tax money from our checks as it is. The tax money from groceries would be coming from everyone. It's not all about the few who are retired. Cook Allen Engineer says, cut the grocery tax. Everybody buys groceries. Well, they do, but that's not going to amount to nearly as much as elimination of the income tax. And again, I, I would just invite folks to consider what would drive the most economic activity? What would produce the best overall economic outcome? I understand it's natural to, to be wrapped up in, okay, how does this benefit me? I, I certainly understand that. I'm respectful of that. But I would just ask you to think a, a little bit more broadly. What can we do to get us off the bottom? The bottom. I'm sick of it. Bottom per capita income. Bottom household income. Worst in terms of, of, of our health. Next to the highest uninsured rate. 
highest percentage on Medicaid, which is a measurement, honestly, of, of um, economic status, economic health of the state. That's what we got to focus on. We, and, and we've had some successes, there's no doubt. We've had some great economic development project announcements, infusion of investment into the state. But if you look at our adjacent state folks, adjacent states, they're all doing way better than us. We got to pick it up. And this, this is not this is not an indictment of anybody whatsoever. I know the governor believes this as well. And I know he's focused on this constantly. It's one of the things I do like about him. He, he does focus to a high degree on economic matters and economic activity and how to improve the state's overall economy and the quality of life in our state. It stems from that. So what's, what policies get us there? That's what we got to look at. How, how can we retain more of this great talent we're graduating? How can we import some of these great talent, these knowledge workers with high levels of income? We need them in our state, because you know what they do? They buy stuff from all the people out there that are working for the companies that sells it to them, or the companies that are owned by people here that sell it to them. That's how it works. They buy more expensive houses, as an example, and they eat out more, all the other things. Now, the Bernie and the left will tell you that that's absurd. No, they're absurd, because they don't understand basic economics. Robert Reich says, the big oil companies make too much money. It's because of your policies, you fool. You're the ones that put all the money in their pocket, because you shut down the oil and gas industry. We're taking a break here with the Beach Boys, coming back with Senator Chris McDaniel. Stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are live from the Element Well Studios on this Friday, y'all. And our guest in the Element Well Studios is Senator Chris McDaniel. He is a candidate for Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Mississippi. Thanks for coming in, Senator. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You got it. So let's start out with what uh, persuaded you. What was the impetus for you to jump in this race and suit up for lieutenant governor you know it's a long decision-making process obviously I think it started with me considering the state of the nation as a whole um, I have two young kids at home 116 111 and I never thought I would see the day that society seemed to be unraveling the way it is now not just the governmental institutions but culturally and socially and just about every other way and I look back just 20 years and I try to imagine what my father would think if he were still alive and he would see the country in this state and he would be incredibly alarmed and I am incredibly alarmed and I I've pinpointed I believe what the problem is um, we need people of conviction people of principle Margaret Thatcher once said she's not a consensus politician, she's a conviction politician. And what that meant was she was going to fight for principle even when it was unpopular. For whatever reason, in the last 20 or 30 or 40 years, many people in our party, unfortunately, and I'm a proud Republican, as you are, but many people in our party have decided to just go with the flow. 
to not push back, to not stand on those very core principles. And what that gives you is one small incremental change after the other constantly moving to the left. That's why we don't recognize the country. We need warriors. We need fighters. We need more Thatchers and Reagans and even Trump that has this combative emotional experience to push back against liberalism, wherever it is. And we've lost that. And so I look at this and I think, how best could Mississippi serve this fight? And here's what I think. The federal government's not going to fix itself. It's incorrigible. I'm not sure it can be corrected from Washington. But the states can exercise in degrees of sovereignty. We've seen Florida push back with DeSantis. We've seen Texas push back with Abbott. We've seen a couple of other states push back. That's how you right the ship. You provide balance once again with states reaffirming their sovereignty in the system. I think we can change the whole country if we can save the states first. Hmm. Interesting. So, Senator, you're certainly no stranger to taking on incumbents in statewide races. You've, right. you've done that before. Uh, and in this case, you're you're taking on uh, a, a first-term incumbent in mm-hmm. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. What about Lieutenant Governor Hoseman's style or decisions has caused you the most concern over the last three years? Fundamentally, we're just very different people from a political perspective, philosophically speaking. I'll give you an example. When I was a little boy, I helped campaign for Kurt Fordyce in this state. He was the first Republican governor we had elected since Reconstruction. And I was just a kid, but I loved Kirk Fordyce. Uh, Delbert Hoseman pushed for Ray Mabus. The distinction was apparent very early, and it's been, distinct, it's been there since, since he started in politics. It's not that he's a bad person. I would never imply that. Politics shouldn't be about personal insults. It's just that he's more of a Democrat than he is a Republican, and he's governed that way in the Senate, not just with the appointment of Democrats in very powerful leadership positions. I'll give you an example. Gerard, there are only 16 Democrats in our chamber. Thirteen of those Democrats were appointed by Delbert Hoseman to chair powerful committees. I don't think that's right. I think if we're going to fight like we have fought to elect Republicans, we need Republicans chairing those committees, and Republican platform pushed in that chamber. It's been one issue after the other. Take the income tax elimination. Tate Reeves has done a great job pushing to eliminate the state's income tax. Philip Gunn has. The House Republicans have. Believe it or not, we have enough votes in the Senate to pass it. One man stands in the way of that, and that's Delbert Hoseman. That is not a Republican position, and I want to see conservative legislation passed. Look at the way he's behaved with redistricting. He saved the Democrats in the chamber, but he literally ended the political career of one of the most conservative senators that we have in this state. One thing after the other. Medicaid right. expansion. Let's talk, let's talk about right, – we'll get to that in a minute. Let's do it. Let's talk about the, the uh, committee chair, because one of the concerns I have, Senator, in, in looking through that list of committees and their chairpersons, it looks to me like we got too many committees. Yes, we do. Way too many committees. Yes, and some of these get, like, no bills, one right. bill. For whatever reason, the committee structure has grown many, many times over the years. We don't need that many committees. I'll take it a step further. I think the legislature as a whole is too large. We could scale it back quite a bit. But as far as the committee process, let's scale it back. But remember, the reason Republicans fight to win elections is so we govern as Republicans. I have no intention of, uh, of helping Democrats pass their agenda. Uh, my position is going to be to help Republicans pass the agenda. And that begins, yes, like you said, well, eliminate some of those committees. And, I, and that's my concern is yeah. that I, when I checked it, I believe there are 46 mm. in the Senate. Yeah. And I think we have 36 Republicans. Right. So we end up 
by necessity having to appoint certain Democrats. The question well, is, are there some of those committees that you would handle differently? Like well, health, absolutely. For Take, for example, necessity. Okay. Uh, public health is one of the most powerful committees in the chamber, and the most liberal member of our body is the chairperson. Senator Hobbright. Yeah, Hobbright of public health. I mean, give me a break. It's not that Hobbs a bad guy. I right. actually like Hobbs as a right. person. His politics are not Republican politics. He has no business chairing that powerful committee. And there are several committees like that. Okay. And so the idea is, is that we have to find ways to push conservatives and push conservative legislation, not to empower Democrats. You were first elected to the state Senate in 2008. Yes, that, sir. Is that correct? Uh, so you have uh, served now for four terms. Yes, sir. Okay. Would you support term limits for legislators? I've introduced that bill multiple times. What happens? It always dies in committee. Um, here's what happens. Uh, just this last couple of years, Delbert Hoseman has killed that bill. Now, here's the issue. The only way I think that we can shock the system sufficiently to change the system, there are two basic ways. First of all, we could have a COS convention, perhaps, but more importantly, term limits. Term limits. Um, I don't like the lifestyle that's been created by this continual re-election of uh, establishment politicians. I have pushed for term limits every year I've been there. Now, people say, well, McDaniel, you should have just stepped down. Well, that's kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'll give you an example. If the only people that always step down are the ones trying to get systemic term limits, guess what will never pass? So what we need is everyone to step down. Now, we can phase it and structure it. Well, not, it doesn't happen all at, at one time. But yes, systemic term limits for every member of the legislature. Okay. Yeah. What about some of the statewide elected officials as well? Some uh, have terms, such term yeah. limits, such as governor, lieutenant governor. I believe everyone should be okay. term limited. That's just a fundamental belief of my Jeffersonian mind that we need new blood and new energy. And I'm going to tell you, William F. Buckley once said he would trust the uh, first 100 names in the phone book <laughs> before we would trust the U.S. Senate, right? Yeah. I see that as well. I like people, and I think people can self-govern. And frankly, I would love to see more blue-collar people in office, more hard-working people in office. I think that's uh, the kind of structure we need. What about a recall process for legislators and statewide officials. That's something you could get behind. I have introduced that bill as well. Absolutely. Politicians are no longer accountable. And some people say, well, every four years we have an election. But by the time they raise all of those unbelievable sums of money, the reality is they typically sweep right back into office. I would love to hold us accountable, every one of us. And if we can't fulfill our promises and hold down these conservative positions, the people should be allowed to bring us home. Absolutely, I support a recall mechanism. Okay. Well, so while we're kind of in that vein, let's talk about the ballot initiative yes. process. Right. Something that uh, has has passed the Senate this year. We had a House bill last year, couldn't get it out of the Senate. This year we got one coming out of the Senate. I think the House's position is, okay, we're just going to wait to see what the Senate does before we spend any time on this. Right. It it uh, at least in my view, the provision that would have allowed the the legislature to amend or even veto a citizen measure. I think mm -hmm. that was the original form of mm -hmm. the bill that was stripped. But what was left in the Senate version was still a very high, more than double threshold of uh, signatures to get the measure on the ballot. Your yeah, thoughts? That was a problem from my perspective. I'll give you an example. We um, Republicans make the argument, and I think rightfully so, that we are a government of the people, the consent of the governed. Uh, with that being said, what mechanism do the people have to actually govern? In our state, we had this initiative process, and it gave the people uh, direct access, if you will, to the halls of power. We've had, I think, more than 200 attempts 
over the years to fulfill the hard requirements to place a ballot initiative on the ballot. I think only about a handful have yeah, ever made it. That's right. So how do we answer that question? We make it twice as hard. It makes no sense. We are disempowering the people of this state. In everything that we should do, we should be empowering these people. Now, you say you may not trust them, but you trust politicians instead. I think people can self-govern pretty well. So I like the idea of an initiative process. And they say, well, what about all the liberal things that could get passed? Well, we have to fight that, and we have to be articulate. My position is, think of all the great conservative things that could get passed. But the bottom line here is this. Yes, we need an initiative process, and it can't be as difficult as the Senate has made it. We need something workable where the people can actually uh, get something done for a change. And that has been the explanation. we got a break right here. We can talk about it on the yeah. other side. Has That's been... The primary reason I've heard from the senators that support a higher threshold is that maybe some well-funded organizations from out of state would get a measure on the on the ballot. And it could be for something we don't like, such as abortion or recreational marijuana, Medicaid expansion, etc. Well, if you disagree with those positions, then beat it. The idea is to have discourse, a debate in society, not to quell debate by making it impossible to pass something. Chris McDaniel, yeah. candidate for lieutenant governor, is our guest in the Element Well Studios on Middays. We're coming right back with more. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, 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 huge news. Huge, huge, huge. You need to listen to this. Yeah. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. On the way. 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 We thank you so much for joining us. Senator Chris McDaniel, candidate for lieutenant governor of Mississippi, is our guest. All right, so back on the ballot initiative uh, process, uh, Senator, I, I don't know that I've seen an official position on the changing of the state flag. And I know there are a lot of folks out there that still believe that that uh, we should not have changed the flag and that maybe a, a voice uh, was, was offered on that years ago and, and that should have stuck. How do you feel about that? Would you be in favor of perhaps a measure that would allow the citizens to vote to return to the old flag? That, that would depend solely on the citizens, right? Okay. It depends on what they do. And I'll tell you my position there, and I think I, I made this pretty clear a couple of years ago. I think the people have a right and should retain that right to vote on those issues. I think the legislature stole that from the people. Now, I get it, and I know the arguments on both sides of the equation as to the design and what it should be or what it should not be. But put that aside for a moment. Are we a people that control the government, or does the government control the people? In this one particular issue, the government literally took that issue away, and I thought that was problematic. I would have preferred uh, a ballot process where there were a number of options on there and, and have the people decide for themselves once and for all. Okay. Let's talk about purse. Yeah. I'm worried about purse. Yeah. I'm worried about all defined benefit programs that, that, that are pretty much the, uh, the common approach in public sector retirement systems. In Mississippi's, is no different. It is, is facing, I think, some, uh, some financial headwinds. There's right. no secret there. Right. Um, and, you know, there's really – I've said this on the program. You may disagree, Senator, and, that, and that's fine. Let's talk about that. But right. there, there's really 
Three ways to fix it. You got to have more revenue. Mm-hmm. You got to have less going out, or a combination of the two. I mean, you could just reduce it down to that. What should we do here? There's, there's, uh, uh, I think, a, a plan um, as adopted uh, by the board of PERS to raise the employer contribution. Mm-hmm. Effective, they pushed it out till 2024. It was supposed to go into effect right. this October, which would cost employers, public sector employers, which is really your tax money. Right, right. Um, and then, of course, the legislature would have to enact legislation to increase the employee right. contribution. That's the way it presently works. Right. Bottom line is, what can we do? What are some ideas there? This is a very uh, personal issue for me because of my parents. Uh, my father was a college professor. Uh, I lost him back in 99, but he worked for 30-plus years and uh, didn't make a lot of money. We were paycheck-to-paycheck kind of people. But um, he took that job in, in some respects because he knew he would have a, a stable retirement and a, and a decent retirement at that. My mom also worked at the same college, and so, again, paycheck-to-paycheck. The bottom line here is the first rule is the one thing worse than a big government is one that lies to the people. And uh, these retirees were promised certain things. We have to deliver on those promises somehow. We can't just sweep the rug right out from under them. And that's where it gets difficult. Because right now, it looks like the uh, it's about 60% funded, roughly. That's right. And, and that number fluctuates from time to time based on market conditions. I, I suppose we could pray for a huge uh, bull rally again, right? Yeah. And hopefully that would be uh, by some time. But otherwise, we have to fulfill the promises to these people. I, my mom, for example, if, if we were to take those promises away, she simply could not survive and uh, she, she planned her life around that retirement so whatever we do we've got to secure it for these retirees somehow. so 80% funding is is considered kind of the benchmark for one that is is in uh, some somewhat financially stable right. and we're we're a good bit below that uh, as you know and then of course we have new folks coming into government new employees which we need to pay for the benefits of those who are retired that's, that's right. the pay-as-you-go nature right. of a defined uh, benefit program would the idea possibly and I agree with you for sure, and I think virtually everybody in government would. We got to take care of those who are retired, or certainly within a few years, yeah. some number of years of approaching retirement. Uh, it certainly wouldn't be fair to them. Right. But maybe there's a way we could transition to a defined benefit uh, a contribution plan. I mean, and it, which would take some sort of one-time investment, or maybe over a period of time investment on the part of the state to take care of those under the the present defined benefit model and switch over to a defined contribution model. Yeah, I'd have to see the details on that. And you know what's funny about that? Um, politicians, for instance, always argue we are the least capable people to plan or govern somebody's <laughs> lives, right? So this is a matter for experts and economists. Okay. And I think it's very important before we are rash anywhere, okay. we need people that have specialized financial advice or uh, that could be given, and we can determine what the right answer is. Okay. But uh, without more details, I have okay. a hard time that, coming That's on fair that. enough. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think the point is, you know, and and I hope everybody in that Capitol building knows something's got to be done. Right. It's uh, it thirty years out. It, it seems like so far, but the reality is, it's really not. It's not from the standpoint of a government. So we have to begin to prepare, and hopefully, we can make wise decisions to secure these retirees for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about another rather pressing issue in the state of Mississippi, and that's healthcare and yeah. healthcare delivery in particular. Uh, reports are that a number of hospitals are struggling financially as well right. in the state. And though I know a lot of times the focus there is the rural hospitals, the urban hospitals are struggling as well. And there's a lot of factors that are causing that. I'm not honestly sure that the government can do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But what we've seen this year is um, 
one particular measure would create a grant program, eighty million dollars. Right. You did vote, I believe, in support of that. Right. Um, that seems a, a bit like maybe some way to address the issue presently, but right. it's not a long-term fix. It's not. And this issue is incredibly troubling. Uh, Mississippi is a rural state. Our, our people need health care, obviously. Um, it gets complicated. And this goes back to the issue of having an expert in the room. I, I won't give you the man's name, but I had the great pleasure of meeting um, one of the CEOs of one of our hospitals up in North Mississippi yep. some time ago. And it was very informal. We just sat around a fire and talked. And he gave me more um, real-world knowledge in 20 minutes than I've heard of that capital in 10 years. we got to bring those people to the table. They have to start making the decisions. I do not, however, believe that Medicaid expansion is the answer, and I'm, I'm not going to ever uh, fall for that trap. I think we've been presented a false dilemma, a false uh, choice. And they say, well, if you don't expand, they'll fail. I don't think that's true. Um, our friend Russ Latino who's brilliant, by the way, mm -hmm. has written several articles here recently on just why that's a false choice, a false argument. And I think that's something people need to read and recognize. I don't think we have to expand Medicaid uh, to save the hospitals. But are there other ways? we got to find it. It could be tax breaks. It could be more competition. It could be the elimination of CON laws, whatever the case may be. But we have to get creative because our people do need health care. And uh, no one wants to see these hospitals shut down. Yeah, I think the biggest problem that, that I can tell that's really plaguing uh, the industry is just the, the amount of undercompensated care or uncompensated care, which right. is a big problem in Mississippi. Uh, one potential option is to enroll those who would otherwise be eligible in Medicaid expansion, able-bodied adults is what that would cover, in uh, the ACA exchanges with the recent enhancements that were enacted in the Inflation Reduction Act. And I've talked to some folks in the Capitol about this. Maybe it's something the state could promote, educate, sure. inform. That's conceivable. Uh, Absolutely. As, yeah. as, a, as an alternative to just Medicaid expansion. That's conceivable. I'll tell you something else to look at. Um, we need to tackle, first of all, Medicaid as a whole. Uh, it, it makes little sense to attempt to expand something that's so inherently flawed as Medicaid. Medicaid has grossly exceeded the projections, financially speaking, ever since it was implemented. And if you look at the budgets of the federal government and the state government, you see this massive balloony budget every year. And then you think about outcomes. You start asking the question, you're a businessman, is all that money getting the outcomes we deserve? And the answer is no. Medicaid patients don't fare well. And you look at the studies from other states, and strangely enough, sometimes even uninsured people have better health care outcomes than people on Medicaid. Doctors don't like to, uh, to, 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 uh, to work with Medicaid. And all these issues inherit in the system. The Heritage Foundation a few years ago issued a paper, 16 ideas to reform Medicaid and to save it. It was brilliant. How many have been implemented? Zero. Yeah. It, it, conservative reform would work in that area if we just give it a shot. Well, the first thing we got to do is uh, strip out all the waste, fraud, and abuse, not just in Medicaid, Absolutely. but of course, uh, government spending overall. But it, that seems to be more embedded in Medicaid and Medicare, perhaps, than any other government program. And those two are gigantic. They're gigantic. And it goes again back to the problem, in some respects, of politicians. These are very big programs, and um, we have to find ways, naturally, to protect them and save them, but they don't want to touch it. Instead, they cover their eyes and they just throw money at the issue. But as you know, Medicaid itself has expanded so greatly, we can't continue to throw money. You said it once before. There are three basic programs out there that are expanding at such an alarming rate uh, that in about, what, 60 years, 
the unfunded liabilities are going to be in excess of $200 trillion. Is that the argument? It it really is kind of scary. So we have to find bright people to walk into the room and start uh, figuring this stuff out for sure. Well, and and you make a point there that that I'd like to explore with you, which I I absolutely agree with about bright people. We'll get that on the other side of the break. Is that good? That's good. Yeah, we got Senator Chris McDaniel, candidate for lieutenant governor, in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back. On the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone, midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well Studios. Senator Chris McDaniel, candidate for Lieutenant Governor in the state of Mississippi, our guest. So, um, Chris, we were just talking offline. There's a there's a bill that has passed the House yeah. in the Senate. Don't think it's come to the floor yet. Right. And uh, I've talked about it extensively here on the program. I feel very passionately about this legislation being bad legislation, honestly, in that it would restrict the sale of a new uh, vehicle, electric vehicle, to only outlets that are independently owned and have a brick-and-mortar presence in right. the state of Mississippi. It would restrict what I call the route, what's actually commonly called the route to market. Right, right. If I, as a consumer, want to purchase a vehicle uh, directly through the manufacturer, because they're all going to start doing this, I could literally order one up on my phone and have it sent to me. Right. If I want to do that in Mississippi, this bill would prohibit that. Yeah. We have uh, a lot of old hyper-regulatory environments in this state. And it's one of the things that's hampered us over the years, whether it's the old franchise arrangements they've uh, created or all the tax and spend regulations that we have. If any time you encumber the free market, Mississippians are going to suffer. Anytime you unleash the free market, we'll be productive and people will have upward mobility. This bill does appear to be very restrictive in the marketplace, and that's the problem. When it came to the Senate last year, I voted no. And it came through committee this year, and I was a no there. It never made it to the floor, or at least it wasn't called up uh, on this year's calendar. I'm assuming they're waiting on the House bill to come over. But to your point, in, in the, if you want to see Mississippi rise, if you want to see us really do well economically, you have to unleash the power of entrepreneurs. You have to unleash the power of profit. 
free markets do that wonderfully. And there's a sense of code, even morality in free markets, because as people gravitate toward good products, products or competition comes into play and it gets better and better for everyone. But people collectively spending their money on what they want to spend money on without government intervention or interference is always the way to more economic growth. So I'm with you. I completely get it. Well, what uh, some folks that I've, that I've heard express their concerns that uh, there, there may be a situation where a consumer in Mississippi may purchase one of these vehicles through this route directly from the manufacturer. And we're not talking about just Tesla. That's kind of what everybody thinks yeah, of today. Yeah, yeah. But Apple is about to introduce their vehicle. Google's likely to have one. Right. Rivian, Lucid. There are a number of others that are just twinkles in the eyes of innovator somewhere. That's, That's how right. this works. That's right. Um, and, and so my concern is that what they say, or their concern, I should say, is that, well, we have to protect the consumer from from uh, making this purchase and not having a service outlet. But but don't the markets offer that protection? Shouldn't consumers be able to make that call on their own accord? Yeah, well, you have to let adults be adults. Let consumers decide what they wish to buy and how they wish to buy it. That's what liberty and freedom truly is. And that's one of the reasons uh, this country grew into this incredible economic powerhouse, because it gave a sphere, if you will, a realm where there wasn't government regulation or restriction. People could voluntarily exchange as they saw fit. That's not a coincidence that we grew as quickly as we did. It was a result of freedom and liberty. And I promise you, and I think you know this, if you inject that back into this system, get rid of these old antiquated laws, Mississippi can rise. It can do better. We don't have to be last forever, but we have to change our way of thinking. Yeah. Well, prosperity and profit is driven by creating value for the consumer. That's right. The consumer makes that call. That's right. Not government. Not never. It should never make that call. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about um, pay for elected officials. I, I know this was a big matter last year, right. and, and you obviously have a, a voting record on that. Uh, first, the proposal, the bill to increase legislative pay, yeah. which uh, if I, I think I got the, the uh, process here, the sequence right, yeah. it passed, and then you made a motion to reconsider. Yeah. And the motion was not tabled, right. which essentially allowed it and caused it to die, which right. means it, did, it didn't get through. This, would, this was the bill that would have increased, I think, the office expenses, as I recall, is you know, what it's called. Yeah. It was a tricky way to give legislators a pay raise. Now, look, I, I'm very happy that bill died. I'm very happy I had a hand in having it die. I held it on a motion to reconsider because I wanted the bill to die, and here's why. When we run for office, we know full well what the cost is. We know full well how much we're going to be paid. I can't stand the idea of politicians basically now coming into an office and then immediately voting themselves a pay raise. It's counter to everything I believe. And so, frankly, I think we're paid enough already. It should be a public service. Uh, it should be a volunteer effort for the most part. I know a lot of us come up there and we actually lose money during right. a session. But that's the whole point. It's public service. And if you don't want to serve that way, perhaps it's time to find a new job in the private sector. But I just don't like the idea of giving legislators pay raises. I think they know full well what the job requires and, and uh, they, should have stick to, uh, they should stick to that money. What did pass, uh, as you are aware, is pay for statewide yeah. officials. There were increases there. The governor uh, actually passed it by not signing it and letting it um, right. just expire in the, in the time frame yeah. he needed to sign it. Uh, so that got through. How did you vote on that? Initially, I voted no, and I fought it. Um, when it came through from conference weekend, I was downstairs, and I wasn't there when the vote was called. Uh, and that was my fault. I would have voted no 100%. I think I was marked as a not vote, but I can't be sure. I, was, I voted no every other time it came through. Now, here's why. 
to the same principle. I realize those are old pay scales. They are. Uh, I, I realize that, and yep. and I'm sensitive to that. But at the same time, remember, some of these seats we literally raise millions of dollars to acquire. And it's counterintuitive to claim then that for whatever reason um, that was enough or that's not enough, if, if you will. Um, I just don't believe politics should be a job where you make money. I know that's terrible. I, I, I know people are going to be mad at me by saying that. but And I realize you have to have something to survive here in, in Jackson or, or wherever you live. But at the same time, I'm very sensitive to those issues. And so uh, I remember when it came to the floor, we fought it as best we could. But that was, a, that was a runaway snowball coming down the mountain at that stage. The lieutenant governor and Speaker of the House's pay would uh, increase from the present level of 60000 to 85000 Yeah. I would, just... would you be willing to accept the old pay? Absolutely, I will. You thought about Absolutely, that? I will. If I'm elected, I will accept the old pay. I don't have a problem with that. The key here is to make sure that this is a service. And inherent in service is sacrifice. And I'm willing to make that sacrifice. And that's one of the things I think is so important about this position. And I know it's getting close to the end, but keep this in mind. You know, Tate Reeves um, has done his very best to govern conservatively. Um, I know people sometimes disagree with certain things he does, whatever the case may be, but fiscally speaking, he's been a very, very conservative governor. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had conservatives in all those positions of authority? What if he didn't have to fight every day to see conservative reform passed? What if he actually could get things done, his agenda passed for the next four years? We could build a legacy of conservatism in a four-year term. And that's another reason I'm running, because I think this is now the time to build that legacy of conservatism. God doesn't give us opportunities like this very often. Supermajorities in both chambers, full control of state government. Why are we playing defense? Let's get to work and do something big for Mississippi. Let's eliminate that income tax. Let's make sure the woke culture is dead for good in this state. Let's make conservatives leaders of this state and not just uh, folks that pretend. That's the reason I'm running. We had a bit of a victory along those lines. I would call it a victory this week with the bill uh, that would prohibit uh, gender transition surgery, reassignment surgery for minors right. in the state, headed to the governor's desk now. Right. Right. The repack That's came right. over from the House. You That's voted right. uh, for that. Absolutely. I'm happy it passed. Uh, for whatever reason, the committee process, I'm sure Delbert Hoseman had it killed for the previous several years. So being an election year, I thought he saw this as a red meat piece of legislation. But it's a good piece of legislation, and I'll try to explain just real quickly. Um, minors. Minors, uh, we don't allow them to drive vehicles, drink alcohol, own guns, whatever the case may be, because they're minors. Their brains aren't fully um, matured, if you will. For goodness sakes, there's no justification for a minor to be having some sort of gender reassignment surgery. And parents that allow that should pay some degree of a price. And doctors that per perform those surgeries should have some price they pay. I'm glad we prohibited that action. It was a good step to once again fight back against that woke culture that's all over this society. But it doesn't go far enough. Look, these professors and these universities that are indoctrinating these kids, They've got to go. These public school teachers that are spending time talking about all these silly things that liberalism injects in our daily routines, they've got to go. But you've got to have people to stand up and say these things and to fight for these things. And, and right now, we don't have a full unified Republican Party. Let's unify this party, and let's get some things done over the next four years. Yeah. 
What about your relationship, Senator? We're just about up against a break, but if you can stick around, we'll, we'll cover oh, yeah. uh, the rest of the hour in the yes, next sir. segment. Your relationship with the existing senators uh, that, that are seated, uh, many of whom are likely, if not most, uh, yeah. to be reelected, and that would be the Senate that you would be presiding right. over as lieutenant governor. Do you feel like you have a good relationship? I do. There may be one or two, obviously, but nothing personal. I happen to respect everyone in that chamber. Uh, I'm a professional. I, I try to be, and I, I hope they are as well. So sometimes if we disagree politically, I don't take that home with me. I don't hold grudges. I'm not going to hold grudges if I'm elected. We're going to work together to move conservative legislation. I consider them my friends. Uh, I hope they consider me that way as well. Senator Chris McDaniel, candidate for lieutenant governor, our guest on Middays. We're coming right back. Stay with us. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. You know I can't be found. Back in the Element Well Studios, final segment on middays on this. What is it, Ronald? Friday, y'all. <laughs> uh, we are here, Senator Chris McDaniel, our guest. So before we went to break there, Senator, your relationship with the senators, it's yeah. going to be important that you have a good rapport there to, yeah. to be productive. I've got a lot of close friends there, and they're good people, good men and women. Um, I never let uh, political disagreements sever friendships. Uh, I do not hold grudges. I have a job to do. I'm going to fight for my belief system, and I know – uh, some of those men and women are very principled, and they have jobs to do, and they're going to fight for their belief system. But I don't think uh, – well, I know for a fact that life is way too short to hold grudges and to build personal enemies. That's not what this is about. I would like to be able to convince them you know, that conservatism is the, the right way, and I'm sure they would like to convince me that perhaps sometimes that's not the right way. We don't dislike each other because of that. So we're supposed to just move forward and still be professionals, and that's what I've always tried to do. Looking at uh, your, your push card. Uh, five major areas yes. that you have uh, stated, included on your push card, pro-life, pro-2A, cut spending and taxes. Anything in particular on the spending front you think that the state could spend less on? Yeah, and I want to add one to that as well. Okay. Uh, uh, that might have been an old addition. You've I've got, got support there. small okay. business. I didn't get gotcha. around the okay. rest of the list. Secure, transparent elections right. also it, Absolutely. It. We have to make sure our elections are fair, but also this woke culture. You know, DeSantis has shown that we have to wage war against this. It has to stop He's here in Mississippi. He's leading on it, no doubt. And we need, he needs help, and Mississippi can help him do that. So we've got to end that woke culture one way or the other. And furthermore, every fight against socialism we can find, let's just push it out of the state. Let's just, let's just reject it. And he's done a good job down there doing that. Now, as far as taxes and spending, oh, this is really simple stuff. Just a few years ago, 10 years ago, our budget was roughly about $4.7 billion. And now we're sitting on how much? Six. Okay. I think uh, it's more now, right? As far as in-state money, as far as in our revenue, so it's, oh, right, it's, it's, right. it's grown tremendously over the years. Now that money belongs to the people. 
That money belongs to the people, not not to the government. So to the extent that they claim we can't afford it, there's certainly fraud, waste, and abuse, including the size and scope of government that we can find ways to reduce. Yeah, we have to make it smaller because a small government makes liberty bigger. It gives us more prosperity. This isn't an accident. So, yeah, we're going to reduce the size and scope of this government every place we can. Half of our spending, roughly, is uh, public education. Is there some opportunity there to perhaps consolidate school districts as an idea? There's always opportunity there because it is such a massive amount, right? My wife's a teacher. My father was a teacher. My mother-in-law, 34 years as a teacher. So I respect greatly teachers. But there's got to be a way to make sure that money actually reaches the teacher as opposed to just the administrators. There has to be a way that teacher can utilize that money and actually teach kids as opposed to being micromanaged by bureaucrats. Teachers can do a great job if we'll get out of their way. And sometimes we do, we're do. we way too abusive when it comes to the standardized testing, way too abusive when it comes to details of their environment. I have great faith in Mississippi's teachers. I don't have a lot of faith in the overall bureaucracy of government. So yes, there's always some places we can cut in that area, for sure. On the subject of education, there's a movement sweeping the country to implement universal school choice. Iowa right. uh, just enacted that. It looks like it's likely to happen in uh, Arkansas Yeah, with uh, the new governor, Governor yeah. Sarah Huckabee. And, and essentially, this just uh, allows uh, the student, their family, to, uh, to take the money allocated to them from the state for their public education and use it to attend school anywhere. Uh, that, that It doesn't mean the private school, would, if they wanted to do that, has to accept right. them, Absolutely. but they could use their money in that regard. How do you feel about uh, the listen, universal school choice? It's a really simple calculation. Put aside all the rhetoric for a moment from the other side of the equation and ask one question. Should a child be trapped in a terrible school? Should we tell that child, you have no options, you have no choice, you must stay in this terrible school. And if you answer yes to that, then you're doing a disservice to that child. So the corollary is this, of course, parents should have options. Uh, of course, parents should be able to select. And not just in the matter of schools, but also in the matter of religious exemptions for vaccines. This is a parental right, it's a parental issue. We have to empower parents here and not not necessarily uh, bureaucrats or, or, or politicians. We have to give control to the parents. So yes, why not? Let, let's give some parents some options for a change. I think uh, you're gonna see more Republican-led states really push to implement universal school choice. You know, it's been a problem here yeah. uh, in the state. I, I've pushed for it personally, and it's it's difficult to overcome uh, the various obstacles. Well, what's going to happen is you'll get massive pushback from a small number of bureaucrats, a small number of politicians that want to maintain the status quo. But ask yourself, is the status quo working for our kids right now? And it's not. It's not. We've gotten better. We've made improvements, particularly in reading, but it's not enough. We have to have these kids educated. These children have to have opportunity, and the status quo doesn't always deliver that. So why not look in other directions? Got it. We're running out of time, but something else I want to talk to you about offline, and then I'll, and then I'll tell the audience, and, and that's these uh, statutes that have been in place for decades that allow exemptions to competitive bidding in the provision <laughs> of certain services. Right. Nothing Come should on. be exempt from Come competitive on. bidding. Not a chance. It's the people's money, and you've got to drive down cost, and that's a way to do it. You're exactly right. Senator, thanks for coming on the program today. <laughs> Thank you, Good sir. Good luck I appreciate on the campaign. Senator much. Chris McDaniel, candidate for lieutenant governor of Mississippi, our guest. And we're out of time here today. We thank you so much for joining us on Middays. We're back in the Element Well studios on Monday. Until then, stay safe, and God bless everyone.
Mississippi Media Production.